Section 12 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Massacre of St. Bartholomew, Part 2. No tongue can tell the horrors of that night. It would require volumes to record the frightful scenes which were enacted before the morning dawned. Among the most remarkable escapes we may mention, that of a lad whose name afterwards attained much celebrity, the Baron de Rony, a Protestant lord of great influence and worth, had accompanied his son, Maximilien, a very intelligent and spirited boy about eleven years of age, to Paris to attend the nuptials of the King of Navarre. This young prince, Maximilien, afterwards the world-renowned Duke of Sully, had previously been prosecuting his studies in the College of Burgundy in the metropolis, and had become a very great favourite of the warm-hearted King of Navarre. His father had come to Paris with great reluctance, for he had no confidence in the protestations of Catherine and Charles the Ninth. Immediately after the attempt was made to assassinate the admiral, the Baron de Rogny, with many of his friends, left the city, entrusting his son to the care of a private tutor and a valet de chambre. He occupied lodgings in a remote quarter of the city and near the colleges. Young Maximilien was asleep in his room when a little after midnight he was aroused by the ringing of the alarm bells and the confused cries of the populace. His tutor and valet de chambre sprang from their beds and hurried out to ascertain the cause of the tumult. They did not, however, return, for they had hardly reached the door when they were shot down. Maximilien, in great bewilderment, respecting their continued absence and the dreadful clamour continually increasing, was hurriedly dressing himself when his landlord came in pale and trembling, and informed him of the massacre which was going on, and that he had saved his own life only by the avowal of his faith in the Catholic religion. He earnestly urged Maximilien to do the same. The young prince magnanimously resolved not to save his life by falsehood and apostasy. He determined to attempt in the darkness and confusion of the night to gain the College of Burgundy, where he hoped to find some Catholic friends who would protect him. The distance of the college from the house in which he was rendered the undertaking desperately perilous. Having disguised himself in the dress of a Roman Catholic priest, he took a large prayer-book under his arm and tremblingly issued forth into the streets. The sights which met his eye in the gloom of that awful night were enough to appall the stoutest heart. The murderers, frantic with excitement and intoxication, were uttering wild outcries and pursuing in every direction their terrified victims. Women and children in their night-clothes, having just sprung in terror from their beds, were flying from their pursuers covered with wounds and uttering fearful shrieks. The mangled bodies of the young and of the old, of males and females, were strewn along the streets, and the pavements were slippery with blood. Loud and dreadful outcries were heard from the interior of the dwellings, as the work of midnight assassination proceeded, and struggles of desperate violence were witnessed as the murderers attempted to throw their bleeding and dying victims from the high windows of chambers and attics upon the pavements below. The shouts of the assailants, the shrieks of the wounded as blow after blow fell upon them, the incessant reports of muskets and pistols, the tramp of soldiers, and the peals of the alarm bell all combined to create a scene of terror such as human eyes have seldom witnessed. 
in the midst of ten thousand perils the young man crept along protected by his priestly garb while he frequently saw his fellow christians shot and stabbed at his very side suddenly in turning a corner he fell into the midst of a band of the bodyguard of the king whose swords were dripping with blood they seized him with great roughness when seeing the catholic prayer-book which was in his hands they considered it a safe passport and permitted him to continue on his way uninjured twice again he encountered similar peril as he was seized by bands of infuriated men and each time he was extricated in the same way at length he arrived at the college of burgundy and now his danger increased tenfold it was a catholic college the porter at the gate absolutely refused him admittance the murderers began to multiply in the street around him with fierce and threatening questions maximilian at length by inquiring for la fe the president of the college and by placing a bribe in the hands of the porter succeeded in obtaining entrance la fay was a humane man and exceedingly attached to his protestant pupil maximilian entered the apartment of the president and found there two catholic priests the priests as soon as they saw him insisted upon cutting him down declaring that the king had commanded that not even the infant at the breast should be spared the good old man however firmly resolved to protect his young friend and conducting him privately to a secure chamber locked him up here he remained three days in the greatest suspense apprehensive every hour that the assassins would break in upon him a faithful servant of the president brought him food but could tell him of nothing but deeds of treachery and blood at the end of three days the heroic boy who afterward attained great celebrity as the minister and bosom friend of henry was released and protected the morning of st bartholomew's day had not dawned when a band of soldiers entered the chamber of henry of navarre and conveyed him to the presence of the king frenzied with the excitements of the scene the imbecile but passionate monarch received him with a countenance inflamed with fury with blasphemous oaths and imprecations he commanded the king of navarre as he valued his life to abandon a religion which charles affirmed that the protestants had assumed only as a cloak for their rebellion with violent gesticulations and threats he declared that he would no longer submit to be contradicted by his subjects but that they should revere him as the image of god henry who was a protestant from considerations of state policy rather than from christian principle and who saw in the conflict merely a strife between two political parties ingloriously yielded to that necessity by which alone he could save his life charles gave him three days to deliberate declaring with a violent oath that if at the end of that time he did not yield to his commands he would cause him to be strangled henry yielded he not only went to mass himself but submitted to the degradation of sending an edict to his own dominions prohibiting the exercise of any religion except that of rome this indecision was a serious blot upon his character energetic and decisive as he was in all his measures of government his religious convictions were ever feeble and wavering when the darkness of night passed away and the morning of the sabbath dawned upon paris a spectacle was witnessed such as the streets even of that blood-renowned metropolis have seldom presented the city still resounded with that most awful of all tumults the clamour of an infuriated mob the pavements were covered with gory corpses 
men women and children were still flying in every direction wounded and bleeding pursued by merciless assassins riotous with demoniac laughter and drunk with blood the report of guns and pistols was heard in all parts of the city sometimes in continuous volleys as if platoons of soldiers were firing upon their victims while the scattered shots incessantly repeated in every section of the extended metropolis proved the universality of the massacre drunken wretches besmeared with blood were swaggering along the streets with ribald jests and demoniac howlings hunting for the protestants bodies torn and gory were hanging from the windows and dissevered heads were spurned like footballs along the pavements priests were seen in their sacerdotal robes with elevated crucifixes and with fanatical exclamations encouraging the murderers not to grow weary in their holy work of exterminating god's enemies the most distinguished nobles and generals of the court and the camp of charles mounted on horseback with gorgeous retinue rode through the streets encouraging by voice and arm the indiscriminate massacre let not the king proclaimed one single protestant be spared to reproach me hereafter with this deed for a whole week the massacre continued and it was computed that from eighty to a hundred thousand protestants were slain throughout the kingdom charles himself with catherine and the high-born but profligate ladies who disgraced her court emerged with the morning light in splendid array into the reeking streets the ladies contemplated with merriment and ribald jests the dead bodies of the protestants piled before the louvre some of the retinue appalled by the horrid spectacle wished to retire alleging that the bodies already emitted a putrid odour charles inhumanly replied the smell of a dead enemy is always pleasant on thursday after four days spent in hunting out the fugitives and finishing the bloody work the clergy paraded the streets in a triumphal procession and with jubilant prayers and hymns gave thanks to god for their great victory the catholic pulpits resounded with exultant harangues and in honour of the event a medallion was struck off with the inscription la piete a réveillé la justice religion has awakened justice in the distant provinces of france the massacre was continued as the protestants were hunted from all their hiding-places in some departments as in Saintonge and lower languedoc the protestants were so numerous that the catholics did not venture to attack them in some other provinces they were so few that the catholics had nothing whatever to fear from them and therefore spared them and in the sparsely settled rural districts the peasants refused to imbrue their hands in the blood of their neighbours many thousand protestants throughout the kingdom in these ways escaped but in nearly all the populous towns where the catholic population predominated the massacre was universal and indiscriminate in Meaux, four hundred houses of protestants were pillaged and devastated and the inmates without regard to sex or age utterly exterminated at orleans there were three thousand protestants a troop of armed horsemen rode furiously through the streets shouting courage boys kill all and then you shall divide their property at rouen many of the protestants at the first alarm fled the rest were arrested and thrown into prison they were then brought out one by one and deliberately murdered six hundred were thus slain such were the scenes which were enacted in toulouse bordeaux bourges angers lyon and scores of other cities in france it is impossible to ascertain with precision the number of victims the duke of sully estimates them at seventy thousand 
the bishop perifix at one hundred thousand this latter estimate is probably not exaggerated if we include the unhappy fugitives who fleeing from their homes died of cold hunger and fatigue and all the other nameless woes which accrued from this great calamity End of section twelve